Hey everybody, it's Father Edward Looney, the host of How They Love Mary, and I'm really excited to share with you today about something that I recently self-published. It's been a dream in the making, to be honest. A number of years ago, I had a book called Breakfast in Bethlehem, but when the publisher went out of business, it ceased in publication and never was picked up by any other publisher. This Christmas, I'm excited to share the story of Breakfast in Bethlehem once again. It's contained in a collection of two Christmas stories called Father Looney's Christmas Stories, where I tell the story of this young boy who goes to Bethlehem with an angel and sees the events of Christmas unfold, including breakfast made by the innkeeper in Bethlehem. In the second story, Flowers from the Shepherd Boy, I share a story about a young boy who meets the three magi, who shares with him the story of Christ's birth, and then how this young boy meets the Holy Family as they are fleeing into Egypt. These stories of Christmas and the Epiphany, I hope, will be ones you wish to share with the little people in your life. You can head on over to Amazon and buy a copy of Father Looney's Christmas Stories. You can find the link in the show notes. And now, on with today's show. My name is Father Edward Looney, and you're listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. One of the classic books about the Blessed Mother is a book called The Read of God by Carol Houselander. And in fact, in my book, How They Love Mary, I related a story that when I was in the seminary, there was this priest who was one of the guest presenters for our formation. And he said, this was the best book on Mary. And at the time, I was kind of this aspiring Marian theologian. And I thought to myself, I know of lots of other books that are probably better than that one in my head. That's what I thought, I'll be honest. Uh, and so I kind of just scoffed at it. Uh, but, you know, years later, uh, Ave Maria Press did a reprint of The Read of God. And they sent me a copy, gratuitously. And I was able to uh, read it. And I've listened to the audiobook a few times now and even included that chapter about Carol Houselander and the lessons she taught me about Mary in my book, How They Love Mary. So I want to talk a little bit about Car Carol Houselander today with our guest, who is Haley Stewart. But we're going to talk more than Carol Houselander. She has so much that she's done, a lot of impressive work that she's doing. So I think it'll be great to just touch base about some of these projects she's working on. She is a Catholic author and the managing editor of Word on Fire spark she co-hosts the fountains of carrots podcast and she has four children as married to a whiskey distiller so thank you so much for joining me today haley yeah thank you so much for having me father and uh let's just talk about carol houselander let's talk about the topic at hand but then we'll kind of merge into other traffic lanes of conversation with some of the things you've been working on 
But when Ave Maria Press sent me the book, The Read of God, they, uh, I, I said, well, I'd like to interview somebody about the book. And I knew that Carol Houselander had died. Uh, so, but they said, Haley Stewart has a strong devotion to Carol Houselander. So I'm curious, how did that come about? Sure. Well, I think I first heard about this book from Meg Hunter Kilmer, who's a, a writer and a speaker. And she said, this is your Advent read. You have to read the read of God. And I hadn't really heard of the book until then. So I picked up a copy and I was just completely blown away by Carol Hauslander's insights and her spirituality. And I, I'm a convert. So I converted about 12 years ago, um, grew up in a Protestant Christian family. So I didn't have a devotion to Mary coming into the church. And this book was definitely a turning point for me because I felt like I understood Our Lady on a deeper level and connected with her more deeply. And also, Hauslander's so good at explaining how Marian devotion shows us how we are to be fully human and speaks to each Christian's spiritual journey And here, I've got a quote actually from the Read of God that speaks to that. And it says, Our Lady lived the life of all humanity. Concentrated into her tiny history is a life story of the whole human race, the whole relationship of the redeemed human race with God. So I just fell in love with this book, fell in love with Mary, and it was just such a turning point for me spiritually. And it's interesting that Meg Hunter Kilmore said, this is your perfect Advent read, because that's what I wrote about and How They Love Mary, is how this book is a great Advent uh, reflection in a sense. And there's so many different Advents, and Our Lady had Advents in her life. So the I always say that she had the first Advent of the Jewish people, which is God has promised to send the Messiah, and they've been waiting for a very long time. And Mary was one of those daughters of Israel waiting for the Messiah. So there's that general waiting. And then the angel comes. This is the second advent. The angel comes to Mary and er, says, you're going to conceive a child, bear a son, and he's going to be Emmanuel. He's going to be the Messiah. He is the promised one. So now you have the second advent of Our Lady, which is the nine months of her pregnancy, the nine months of her waiting for for to give birth to Jesus, to adore the face of God. And then, you know, Jesus is going to have this public ministry. So there's kind of the advent of her life with Jesus, anticipating that public ministry, anticipating what Simeon prophesies. And then you have Jesus dying on the cross, ascending into heaven, and now Mary's there with the early church. So this is another advent of her life in which she is waiting. Advent is a season of waiting, and she's waiting to be united with her son again in the assumption as she goes to heaven, body and soul. So her life is marked by lots of advents, and even maybe you could go so far as the other advent is that Mary waits for us. And so she has that waiting for all of her children to come to the kingdom of heaven. But I was just really struck by kind of that sense of waiting and Mary's advent from Carol Houselander. That is very true. And why else do you think this would be a good advent book? 
Well, I think that you, you were just talking, Father, about these different advents in Mary's life, and each Christian also kind of experiences these advents, and each liturgical year we prepare for the Incarnation again, and during that preparation, we're also wanting Christ to be made flesh in us again, which you know, Mary models for us, and that is our goal as Christians as well. And I think that this Advent that Carol Hauslander talks about, she presents this image of kind of the emptiness that we have to be open to in order for Christ to be incarnate in us. And it's just so beautiful because I think sometimes we think of emptiness or making room for Christ in this negative way where it means kind of releasing who we really are and we have to let go of our identity in order to become spiritual. But she just so beautifully writes about this emptiness in a way that I think makes it clear that we are most ourselves when we allow Christ to be born in us, when we open up that space for him, that that emptiness and that waiting is the rebirth of something new and more fully ourselves. And as a mother, I really relate to that partly because I have such miserable pregnancies. I have terrible pregnancies. I get very sick. I'm just sick for nine months when I'm pregnant. And it's this kind of excruciating waiting season where you can't see that anything's happening yet. Um, And I think we all experience that in our spiritual lives sometimes where things feel really bleak and we can't see how God is growing in us. We can't experience that yet. So there's this waiting season. And then in hindsight, we can see that God was moving and that God was with us and he hadn't left us. He was doing something really beautiful within us, but we can't see it at the time. And so I just love that image. And I think that's so important to keep in mind during Advent, especially if it's in a time of kind of spiritual dryness where we're wondering, is God really (laughs) doing anything right now? And that kind of Advent hope and trust that God is going to bring something beautiful out of these times of emptiness or suffering. Now, you are a wife and you are a mother of four children. So the season of Advent is coming up and we're going to observe it. How in the past has your family kept a season of Advent as you prepare for Christmas? Sure. So I used to be like such an Advent stickler. I was such an Advent Scrooge. So we wouldn't do any Christmas carols until Christmas. We wouldn't do any Christmas tree until Christmas. And over the years, I've kind of loosened up. I'm less of a liturgical stickler. Um, But we do try to keep things a little bit more low key so we can really experience the 12 days of Christmas and not be burnt out by December the 25th. So just some of the simple traditions we do in our household, we always do an Advent wreath and we'll light it every every evening at dinner and then we'll sing an Advent hymn. We always sing, O Come Divine Messiah. And then for our Christmas tree, we'll set it up, but just put the white lights on the tree, kind of our, we're waiting for the light of the world symbol for, for our living room. And um, those are just a couple of the the little things that we do every year that if we stopped doing them, my kids would definitely notice and, and complain. I'll have to say that 
uh, O Come Divine Messiah is one of my favorite Advent hymns along with Creator of the Stars of Night. So I'm glad that you give that song a, a, a home uh, in your own home and your own devotional life. And then once you come to the completion of Advent, we have this Christmas season. And this year, I think some people are going to be thinking about Christmas and looking at a specific story, one that you have written called The Curious Christmas Trail. This is the second in a children's series of yours. And tell me a little bit about this Christmas story. Sure. So this series is a children's book series called The Sister Serafina Mysteries. And the books are about an order of mouse nuns who live under G.K. Chesterton's house in Beaconsfield, England. And they run a little school for the village mice. And then they get inspired by Chesterton's Father Brown to start solving local crimes and mysteries. So (laughs) the first book is kind of introducing, the first book is The Pursuit of the Pilfered Cheese and introducing the characters and they have a little mystery to solve. And the second book is actually my favorite in the series that I've written so far. I've written three. And in this one, there is a sister, one of the mouse nuns, Sister Dymphna, is an elderly sister and she's kind of in this, some stages of dementia, she started kind of wandering off. And at some point, she wanders off, and they need the characters need to go find her. And it's Christmas Eve, and it's um, cozy and adorable. And I just really love this character. There's sweet conversations between the little mouse children, the students, and um, and the sisters. So it's it's a lot of fun. And so it is set in Christmas, and it's a nice little Christmas story then. And the third one isn't yet published or released, so I'm sure it's going through that process. But how how many of these additions do you think there's going to be? So there will definitely be three. I'm I'm publishing with the Daughters of St. Paul, and they um, we're, we're kind of talking about doing a fourth one. I just haven't had a brilliant idea for the plot yet, so I'm waiting for inspiration. Sure, sure. I know what that's like. When it comes to this children's book, and it's interesting that you have the the mouse and this order of nuns that are mice, right? And so um, I, I'm sure that the animals kind of make it friendly or, or something like that, but it is one of the goals, do you think, to promote religious vocations? Like, do you think as a child is introduced to nuns at such a young age as they read your story, that somehow this might facilitate the beginning, the seed of a call that they won't see germinate for many years from now, but it could be the first consideration of a religious vocation? Well, I really hope so. And as I was writing these stories, I, I was thinking about how many stories there are and just kind of our cultural narrative about uh, that are negative towards nuns um, or have nuns as like someone in a horror movie or, you know, something terrible. And so to offer something where these sisters are, you know, they're mice, they're not humans, but they're very human. They're real people and they're positive characters, but you also see their um, humanity or you know whatever the word would be for that for mice. And so one of the things that I was absolutely thrilled with when the Daughters of St. Paul accepted the manuscript is they told me that their sisters thought this was just the best depiction of religious life that they'd seen in fiction. And that made me so, so excited 
Um, because, you know, not as someone who is not a nun, I'm not in religious life, um, I had to do kind of a lot of guesswork of what that would feel like to be a religious sister. And so that made me really happy. And I do hope that if someone is called to a religious vocation, that maybe this book could plant a little seed there. You just mentioned C.S. Lewis and Chesterton as part of kind of these stories that you have in this children's book. But you also have a great fascination with another author named Jane Austen. And so tell me a little bit about Jane Austen. What did she write and why did you become so interested in her writings? Sure. So Jane Austen is a British novelist. Um, she was writing in the early 1800s and she wrote six Finnish novels. And, you know, Pride and Prejudice is her most fa is her most famous one. A lot of people read it in high school and college. But I just always loved her novels. And then over time, come to see her as a moral philosopher. You know, she really has a well-developed moral philosophy about what does it mean to live a good life? What does it mean to be a good person? What do these virtues look like? How do we acquire them? What's the consequences of virtue or vice in a community? And so I think that I, I wrote this book under the idea that Jane Austen, if we look to her as kind of a life coach leading us and guiding us in virtue, then we can walk through the these novels and the stories and walk alongside the characters reflecting on how we can also cultivate those virtues in our own life. When were you first introduced to Jane Austen? I was probably eight or nine years old. And I remember my mom and I listened to Pride and Prejudice on audiobook. And then over time, my family got really into all the movies. And then I read all the novels. Um, so it's been a, a lifelong thing, a lifelong obsession with Jane Austen. And then something compelled you then to really reflect on this from a Christian perspective and say, well, what can she teach us about the Christian life? And that's why you wrote Jane Austen's Genius Guide to Life on Love, Friendship, and Becoming the Person God Created You to Be. So what, what does she have maybe to say about friendship? I think that's kind of a very neutral topic, right? So uh, how can her perspectives deepen the friendships that we have with other people? Yeah, I think one of the most important things that she demonstrates in her stories about friendship is how important our friendships and our community are to developing virtue, that our relationships with our family, our friends, perhaps our spouses, that these are the relationships that help show us the consequences of our actions and show us how to do better. So for instance, one of her novels, Emma, the main character is just a complete mess. She's the character I most relate to, which is bad because she's not a good person. And she doesn't know how to be a good friend because she hasn't developed the virtues she needs in order to do that. And so through her friendships, she starts to realize her own flaws and then because she's inspired by certain friendships, she's able to begin overcoming those flaws. And so I think it's that theme of how God uses the grace of our community to bring us to the self-knowledge we need to gain the humility that he needs us to have in order for us to grow. 
You've been well-known for a long time, I think, in kind of the internet world. Uh, you had a blog. I think that might have been your launching point, Carrots for Michaelmas. And so what was the inspiration for Carrots for Michaelmas? Yeah, well, my husband and I um, converted soon after we'd had our first child, and we'd just graduated from college. And so we were going through RCIA and kind of wanted to document that spiritual journey and document how we were learning to bring the liturgical year into our home, into the domestic church. And so it just kind of started off there. It was really just first intended for friends and grandparents and then just grew along the way. And it developed even into a podcast. Is that right? Well, it was really that I connected with another woman who was blogging, my friend Christy Isinger. We just met through the internet, and then we kind of joined forces and together created the Fountains of Carrots podcast. Oh, yeah. And so this has been a great help, I think, uh, to lots of different Catholic women. I think kind of you create this collective of, of Catholic moms in a sense. And there is that organization, Catholic Mom. But but uh, you're kind of one of these pioneering people uh, back in the day. I just remember that so, so clearly. So um, another book that you've written and uh, is called The Grace of Enough, Pursuing Less and Living More in a Throwaway Culture. And maybe this is an appropriate topic because here we come to Christmas, right? And we're going to be giving gifts. And the the reality is, is there are certain things we need, new items, but a lot of times we just give people things to give them things for Christmas. And in a sense, it's kind of like a throwaway culture. We're going to throw some of this away. So uh, what was the premise, the grace of enough? You you and your husband and your family kind of lived off the grid for a little while and then kind of had these realizations as you came back off the grid. Uh, and maybe that's not the best way to describe it, but um, this is the fruit uh, of your own experience. Yeah, so um, my husband and I were in our late 20s, he was working a job that he didn't like. We were kind of in this hamster wheel of needing to work tons of hours in order to pay for our house and keep things running. And so we kind of just needed a complete reboot, wanted to think about pursuing our family life, pursuing work that we really believed in. And so we sold our house and got rid of most of our stuff and moved to a farm into a little 650 square foot apartment with no flushing toilets to do a year long internship on that farm and just kind of reset and figure out where we were headed from there. And so that book is really kind of from the fruits of that experience, as well as Laudato Si from Pope Francis, his encyclical about care for, the, care for our common home was coming out at that same time. And so it was just, everything was happening at once and we was just kind of thinking about all those concepts and the kind of life that we're called to when we believe in the gospel versus the kind of life that our throwaway culture kind of wants us to be pursuing. So that experience is something that was in the past, but now we're in the present, of course, and so our past experience is informing our present. What have you taken from kind of that one-year reboot and still are living with that grace, which is of enough, uh, in your daily life today? 
Yeah, I think um, one of the big takeaways is something that we really focused on when we were on the farm is meals together. There were also some other um, single folks and a couple families who were also interning on the same property that we were. And so we would eat together. We would spend time cooking and enjoying a meal together. And so that's something that, you know, now that we have older kids, we've got kids in sports and extracurriculars in the afternoon, but just really guarding the family table and understanding that that time together and the building of relationship over the table is um, what holds us together as a family. It's a reflection of the Eucharist. It's a reflection of the wedding feast of the lamb. And so just really protecting that for our relationships and for feeling like human beings in the midst of all the hustle and bustle that happens in the speed of modern life. So kind of maybe to wrap everything up, we've kind of covered the whole gamut of your life in a sense, uh, uh, in terms of (laughs) writing and such, Uh, talking about Carol Houselander, uh, especially her Advent uh, reflection that we could see in the read of God, but also then just all of these other things you're doing. Your current role is working for Word on Fire. And how did you become involved with Word on Fire? And and what's your role there? Sure. So um, I started working on some projects for Word on Fire maybe three or four years ago, just creating some content, doing some writing for them. And then in January, I came on board as the managing editor of Spark, which is Word on Fire's publishing house's children's imprint. So I am there to acquire new books, work with authors, find illustrators, just everything it takes to kind of midwife new children's books into the world. And so that is a complete delight, every part of it. And what can we expect from Word on Fire next year? Are there some projects in the works? Yes. So we'll have probably three books coming out in 2023 in the second half of 2023 so we have an incredible book by alexi Sargent, the husband of leah labresco Sargent. if you maybe follow her and it's 14 stories of saints and animals so it has familiar ones like saint francis of assisi and the wolf but then some more Unusual ones like the tiger and the Korean martyr, Blessed James Hyo Inbok. So there's 14 different stories. It's, inc- I mean, the illustrations are absolutely incredible. It's illustrated by Italian illustrator Anita Bargigiani. And then we're also going to be publishing a series of children's classics, kind of forgotten books that we really think children should be reading to inform their imagination. So we're starting with. George MacDonald's fairy tales, The Golden Key, and a couple of his other fairy tales. And then we also have a board book coming out that kind of goes alongside Word on Fire's new initiative to promote the prayer of liturgy of the hours. And so this is a board book for toddlers with one of the canticles from liturgy of the hours, the canticle from Daniel. And it's the illustrations are just lovely and it's for the child to have something to hold on to and look at and participate in family prayer when the family is praying the hours. And that canticle from Daniel says, 
ice and snow, bless the Lord. And as a person that lives in Wisconsin, whenever it snows or there's icy roads, I, I always think of those words of Daniel, ice and snow, bless the Lord. You know, but the, the whole purpose of that Daniel canticle is to tell us that all of creation praises God by its very being, even if by its very existing, so that, you know, a, a leaf can't praise God in word or anything, but because it exists, because God creates it, it now is able to give praise to God by the fact that it exists. And so, you know, it seems a bit odd, I think, at times to, uh, you know, think about, you know, all of these things blessing the Lord. But when you come to understand in that context, well, then it all begins to make sense. So that is a big initiative of Word on Fire. You mentioned uh, they have the monthly uh, subscription, really, to the Liturgy of the Hours morning and evening prayer. Is that something that is a part of your family life? Yeah, that's something that I have been doing really for the first time this year. I've always done in fits and starts praying liturgy of the hours where I would start with an app or um, I started with the little office of the Blessed Virgin Mary for a while, but I would always get either tripped up because it was on my phone and I don't like praying with my phone, or I would get tripped up with all the ribbons and trying to figure out what went on what day. And so this for me, I guess I started, I guess I started doing it as soon as the booklets came out this summer. And I've just been bringing that into my personal prayer in the morning. So we're not doing it as a family yet, but that's something I would like to get us doing perhaps evening prayer because mornings are a little bit chaotic at the Stewart household. Sure. I can, I can imagine. So well, this is wonderful. So you are making a great footprint in, ca- in the Catholic world uh, through your work with Word on Fire, through everything else that you are and have contributed. And yeah, I've been a longtime follower on Twitter. Uh, that's where I think I first uh, happened upon you. And it's just been great to see all of the good work that you've been doing and that uh, finally we've been able to have a little conversation and to uh, to bring it to this audience on how they love Mary. Maybe just to the one final question is you mentioned being a convert and that Mary kind of wasn't the wasn't there in the very beginning, you know, of that conversion process and that Carol Houselander kind of made Mary more personal for you. So how has that Marian devotion throughout the process of conversion uh, maybe changed? Yeah, I think that um, initially I was probably drawn to the beauty of Mary, um, Mary in sacred art, Mary as this motherly figure. But I think what Carol Hauslander brought out is how Mary emulates what we are called to do and be as Christians, which I think as a woman is very um, affirming and very beautiful, especially coming from a tradition that didn't have any Marian devotion. And so as a woman, I grew up kind of feeling like a second-class citizen because Jesus was a man. And there's no female figure to really celebrate and honor. And so finding Mary and having Marian devotion and seeing that she is the example, not just for Christian women, but for every single Christian, is something that I think was very healing and very beautiful for my spiritual life and also my identity and understanding of my own femininity. 
Sure, sure. Was she uh, a, an obstacle? Like when you thought, I'm going to become Catholic, was Mary an obstacle or was something like maybe, you know, even today, some Catholics really don't look to the Blessed Mother all that much like, oh, I'll just put her on a shelf. Maybe I don't need to have Mary, but I understand this is a Catholic thing. Or were you able to integrate Mary into your life a bit sooner than than maybe others? Yeah. Well, I think with with my conversion, the place I was at when I converted, um, you know, I grew up in the Bible Belt of the South and like Protestant country. And so I had a lot of misconceptions about what the church taught and about the whole idea of Mary and Marian doctrine. And so as I was kind of on this road to Rome and I was watching my misconceptions kind of all crumble as I started to learn what the church actually taught. I think I was at a place where Mary wasn't an obstacle to me, but I didn't have a relationship with her. And I think now just one of the things that is so beautiful about having a relationship with Mary is in those moments where maybe God feels far away or we just have a hard time wrapping our minds around the idea of God's love or relationship with him that like reaching out to Mary and asking her to guide us to Jesus, which is her joy and delight to do is just such a comfort and such a beautiful part of um, our spiritual walk as Catholics. And what a resource to have the mother of our Lord ready to help bring us to Jesus and help kind of reach out to God in moments where we don't feel like we can reach out to God. It's been so great to talk with you today, Haley. And I'm wondering, you know, where can people find you online? Where do you recommend they get your books? Um, All of those things. Where do you live online, I guess, is the big question. Sure. So you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Haley Carrots on both of those. And then I recently started a Substack, which is an email, free email newsletter. And so you can go to haleystewart.substack.com and sign up for that. And I think that's kind of where my home base is going to be online in the next few years, especially as social media gets worse and worse to deal with. Yeah, I've seen the emergence of Substack. So uh, yeah, I'm very interested uh, to see where that that all goes. But uh, lots of things we talked about today, uh, a recommendation for Advent, the read of God uh, by Carol Houselander. We talked about your children's books, especially one, The Curious Christmas Trail, uh, the second in your series from the Daughters of St. Paul, and then also about Jane Austen's Genius Guide to Life, and finally, The Grace of Enough. There's lots of books there, and I'm really looking forward to some of the stuff Word on Fire is putting out next year that you shared about already as well. So uh, thanks so much uh, for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Father. Hey, thanks so much for listening to today's show and for all the many ways that you support the podcast. If you want to help out the podcast, be sure to check out Sock Religious. I love their socks. I love their shirts. And so go over to Sock Religious, use the link in the show notes, and buy some holy socks or some holy shirts that you can wear to evangelize your family and your friends. If you also want to support the podcast, I invite you to please share the podcast with your friends or on your social media platforms. 
rate, or review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. And if you don't mind, please follow me on social media on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. My handle is at FR Edward Looney. You'll see all of the posts, all of the content that I put out each week by following me there. Thanks so much again for listening today. Know that I am entrusting you to the heart of Mary, asking her to pray for you this day and every day. And if you don't mind, say a prayer for me too. Let us remain united in prayer to Jesus through Mary. God bless.